What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 13, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Hathor. You can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts. And we are learning that lots, lots, lots of you listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, and then many of others are listening on other uh, platforms as well. But uh, when you find us, uh, give us a review and rate us and make everything awesome and lovely so that other people can find us. And uh, then we'll just keep this big old thing rolling. We got, we're starting to get some people, Zach. Yeah, we, we some, are. We got some subscribers and some uh-huh. listeners. And, it's exciting. And if you want to uh-huh. get a hold of us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H. H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, You know, chat with us, talk to us, ask us questions. Uh, I noticed that, uh, Brent, you posted something on on Twitter about uh, the RoboCop show from the 1990s. I need Uh to follow that link and and take a look at that. Have you done that? Yeah. Okay. You, you don't you don't need to Zach you oh. don't need to so I on a lark I pulled up uh, one of the later episodes so it looks like there was only one season um, something like fourteen episodes or thereabouts and I pulled up uh, episode like eleven or so I figured that like two thirds of the way through the season might be an okay spot to kind of just take a glance at what this thing was Zach it is bad it is terrible <laughs> it is it is really really oh, really bad boy yeah. So if you really ha- are you if you're a glutton for punishment, go ahead, take a look at our Twitter feed, find that thing, find that link, uh, pull up a couple of moments there, and and just have a good have yourself a good laugh. Well, you do realize, Brent, that Hathor is you know kind of near that two thirds mark. Yeah. Of this, so mm-hmm. the question is: Is Hathor a good representation of this season? Find out soon. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, Seeing as RoboCop didn't get renewed, I'm going to make the assumption <laughs> that the two-thirds mark of RoboCop was actually a good representation of that series. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Facebook. Uh, just uh, search for Walking Through the Stargate, and you can find our Facebook page. Like us, comment on it, uh, post uh-huh. pictures and thoughts. Uh, uh, you know, Tell us what you think about Hathor or whatever episode it is. Um, if I can figure out how to get a poll going, I'm going to put a poll up there <laughs> and and uh, and uh, ask you all how many chevrons you'd give Hathor. Oh, uh, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know, every you know, once in a do... while, I have good ideas. And apparently, you know, I can do the same thing on Twitter too because Twitter polls are a thing. But uh, so uh, what we need to do media. is find a way to merge the two so that anybody yeah. who votes on Twitter can you know double up oh. their votes by voting also on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> ballot box stuffing yeah yeah you know you got to practice now when it's not important so that when it when is it's important. not important <laughs> <laughs> oh okay uh shall we dig into this brent yeah let's do it all right so hathor hathor was directed by brad turner uh he was born in bayfield ontario in canada on mm-hmm. june 22nd i couldn't find a date a year 19 something night so his birthday so he's listed as being born in june june 22nd yeah sometime could have been 1860 could have been well probably wasn't 
Probably not. I mean, it could have been. Uh, so uh, he was born sometime uh, in June. <laughs> uh, he's directed uh, he directed eight SG One episodes. This is the second of it. Uh, you'll remember uh-huh. his name from Thor's Hammer. Thor's Hammer. Thor's Hammer. Uh, where Teal'c gets destroyed and Thor takes Teal'c's place. Yes, that's right. right. And he's doing a great job, by the way. You know, I'm amazed. Uh, it's impressive. I mean, it's like really, he's really authentic. He's yeah. like, he makes for an authentic Teal'c. There you go. There you go. Uh, he does have tons of directing credits, including Battlestar Galactica, Smallville, Stargate Atlantis. He did six episodes of those. Hmm. Uh, he was basically one of the showrunners for season five of the uh, TV show 24. Oh, Um, uh, Also, uh, the movie Species 3. I don't know anything more about it other than it's the third one. I actually do remember (laughs) watching in high school the first Species. It's kind of a Uh horror, sci-fi, thriller type of thing. Sure. Um, And then they made more of them. (laughs) <laughs> they made they made a couple more. Yeah, a couple <laughs> at more. least, <laughs> at least. Okay, so that's Brad Turner. Uh, the story is by David Bennett, Karen, and J. Larry Carroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Bennett. This is their only SG one credit for the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Bennett, Karen, Karen uh, is written and produced more than two hundred films and television shows. Uh, including hmm. some Next Generation and some Diagnosis Murder, and of course this one from Stargate SG-1. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, he has his fingers apparently in 18 different TNG episodes, but most of those are as a story editor. Uh, oh, he does have okay. one writing credit there, Future Imperfect. Uh, that's an episode mm. where uh, this little alien boy has a cool holodeck that reads his mind, and he steals... Uh, uh, Commander Riker and pretends that he's Riker's son. Oh, that's... Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, Now, interestingly, apparently at this point in time, at least in their life, uh, Carol and Karen uh, were operating together because uh, they were uh, story editors on all of those 18 episodes of TNG, and they were story writer credits for Future Imperfect together. Uh, So, there you go. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other credits for Karen uh, include the 1990s G.I. Joe, uh, Fievel's American (laughs) Tales in 92, The New Adventures of He-Man, and uh, that would have been late 80s, early 90s, somewhere Mm -hmm. in there, and the 1989 Teenage Ninja Turtles cartoon, which I think uh, is the Teenage Ninja Turtles cartoon that my brother... Uh, mostly my brother and I consumed when we were young mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Uh, brother out there, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and he will. <laughs> or affirm me if I'm right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, J. Larry Carroll, he was born in 1946 on October 7th. Mm-hmm. Um and that's all I got, other than, you know, he partnered with <laughs> Karen for pretty much all uh-huh. of this stuff. Sure. Uh, the teleplay is by Jonathan Glasner. He's, of course, one mm-hmm. of the co-creators with Brad Wright. Uh, he wrote Broken Divide, and he directed The Torment of Tantalus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see his name pop up uh, about three more times this season. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's Jonathan okay. Glasner. Uh, mm-hmm. Hathor originally aired on October 24, 1997. Mm-hmm. 
number one in the charts. Can you guess what was number one in the charts in the U.S.? <laughs> I bet. I bet it's an Elton John song. I bet you're right. <laughs> is it? Uh, is it? Uh, can you feel the love tonight? That's right. It oh, was. Yeah. Good. Okay. No. Okay. No. Candle they, in the they wind. brought it back. Candle in the wind, Brent. Candle in the wind. Yeah. Yep. Uh, get used to it. Elton's going to be here for a very long time in the U.S. However, the oh, uh, United Kingdom has learned their lesson, and they've kicked uh-huh. John out of the top spot by none other than the Spice Girls. Oh, the Spice Girls. With Spice Up Your Life. Spice Up Your Life. Oh, man. Yeah. 97. So, so was this her follow-up single, signal, sing, single to... Um, uh, Tell me what I want, what I really, really want. I'll tell you. I can't remember. That. I don't know. Uh, Brent, you yeah. are talking to somebody who <laughs> knows about pop music only because I had to look it up. <laughs> I know who the Spice Girls are. Sure. Yeah. And that's about as much information as I have on the Spice Girls. Spice up your life. So this would be a great yeah. time uh, to add in post just a little bit of spicing up just your life. Just a little bit of spice up your life? Yeah. Okay. Just so we can spice up our life, because clearly okay. we need All right. it. Bring it back. Let's make it, All right. bring back a 21-year-old song. There you go. Yeah. All right. So in the box office this week, uh, not much has changed. I know what mm-hmm. you did last summer is still number one. The Devil's Advocate mm-hmm. is still number two. Kiss mm-hmm. the Girls is still number three. Seven Years mm-hmm. in Tibet is still number four. Mm-hmm. However... Mm-hmm. We have a new number five, and uh-huh. this is actually a movie that I've seen. I haven't actually seen any of the other ones. Gattaca is in at number five oh, this week. Oh, yeah, uh, I've seen Gattaca. That, that's actually a pretty good movie. I was actually thinking about uh, uh, dusting that one off and, and watching it uh, again, uh, an interesting movie about a yeah, dystopian and was, future and yeah, genetic problems. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, so what was happening on the 24th of October? Not a whole lot. Uh, a couple of days earlier than that, on the 22nd, you had the second longest nine-inning World Series game. Uh, the Marlins okay. and the Indians were playing. They were tied 7-7 seven and seven going into the ninth. Uh, the whole game, with just the nine innings, lasted four hours, 12 minutes. And the Mariners won uh-huh. with a score of 14-11. Wait a minute. So in the ninth, they went into the ninth tied at seven and seven. The game only lasted nine innings and it ended with a 14 to 11. Yeah. So the Mariners scored seven runs in the ninth. Apparently. <laughs> and the Indians wow. came back with uh, four. With, golly. That's impressive. No kid. I, that must have been kind of terrible. So then it must have been, so the Mariners must have been in Cleveland. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Um, that's kind of interesting. I mean, hey, I'm not a big baseball aficionado, but that that must have been kind of a terrifying ninth inning. Yeah, um, I didn't check and look closer at where that was in the World Series series. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if that was late. the first or second or whatnot. Yeah. And I don't know enough about baseball to even guess. Or maybe not that. Maybe it's not that late. Whatever. I, exactly. I yeah. mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah. So um, on October 24, 1997, Marv Albert, who is a, a big name in sports announcing, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, was sentenced in his assault case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all I know. Oh boy, this one. I, if I remember right, I think that this one was. Um, I think that this one involves biting a back. That's oh. all I'm going to say about that. 
Okay. If I'm right, and that's the one that I'm thinking of, this one is definitely salacious. Ooh. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, a day later, on the 25th, after a brief civil war um, in, oh, shoot, now I got it. Oh, in the Republic of Congo. So President mm. Pascal Lisuba, out of Brazzaville, uh, was driven out. And Denis Sassungeso claims mm-hmm. himself the president. Hmm. So, uh, civil okay. war in the Congo at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I have on the 24th or thereabouts. In the episode Hathor, uh, the establishing shot, you know, at the very beginning, you see that Mesoamerican yeah. pyramid. That's yeah. actually an altered photo of the temple of Kukulkan at Chichen Itza. Mm. Uh, apparently they took that a picture of that and they just kind of stretched it sideways to make it a little bit yeah. awkward. Yeah. Actually, if, as okay. you look at it closer, it does look like a picture that was kind of stretched a little bit. Oh, it, it certainly, I mean, I thought it was a matte painting. Um, it, it definitely had a feel of like, you know, this is not actually a real thing, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, you know, it was this um, establishing shot. Yeah. So the scene where Hathor exits from her tub completely dry mm-hmm. was actually a, a clip her going into the water, and then it was played backwards. Yeah. Um, uh, And apparently, I didn't know this, this was actually a heavily criticized episode, and even the series writers themselves uh, acknowledged that it was one of their weakest episodes of the series. When we get into it, I think I'm going to be echoing those sentiments. Did you hear that? That was me saying series, and my Siri on my watch decided that she was going to answer... <laughs> and I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. Hush, hush, you. Hush. Um, uh, goofs in this episode. I thought this was kind of fun. So you remember the, uh, the scene when Captain Carter is searching the web for information oh, about Hathor? I, I not only remember the scene, I paused it to just just gaze at that beautiful Netscape browser and just absorb all the little bits and pieces about that. Did, did you notice the web address? Oh, I sure did. It's file <laughs> slash 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 C colon slash HTTP slash www slash ancient slash eternal slash Hathor dot HTML. That, that was a oh boy, that was that 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 was a that was a disaster of a URL. <laughs> well, clearly they're pulling. Clearly they took that picture, assuming they took it from the web, which they probably did. Um, they saved that picture, that page, onto their hard drive and mm-hmm. pulled it up from there. Clearly. Well, so I was assuming what I'll get into it a little bit here. I was assuming that that scene was a moment where somebody with a little bit of um, HTML creation knowledge actually got to put that to work in 1997, which was an extraordinarily new thing. That's true. Um, and they created a web page uh, because that's I mean, that's that's a valid that's a valid path. I mean, it's saying that there was an HTTP directory. Uh, on the C drive with a www directory with an ancient directory with an eternal directory and in that eternal directory was the hathor.html code which was then rendered uh in Netscape. There you go. Netscape. I remember oh, Netscape. Yeah. Oh boy. There's so much about that scene, Zach. I mean it was like it was like what, two or three minutes? And I'm just sitting there just like walls. <laughs> This random, this random person who claims to be a researcher has put this web page on there, and everything on the web can be trusted. Like well, the it was net, nineteen ninety-seven. She was on the, the net because yeah. it was Netscape, right? It was the net, you know, the net. Oh, it was great. Uh, that was a ter- everything I mean, could be trusted back then. Well, okay. 
Um, also, there are a couple of scenes where if you look carefully at Teal's Jaffa mark, uh, it seems to be sideways on his forewe- forehead, or at least crooked. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't notice it, really, Julie. Uh, so that, is his mark crooked? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. I think it's just the way it, the camera's angled and whatnot. And then sure. as I was doing some searching, I saw that somebody else, at least, was enough to put it online. So yeah. I'm going to say that, yes. Oh, uh, man. It's not the first time they screwed up his teal mark, his Jaffa well, mark. Well, no, but they screwed it up on the first episode by, you know, the makeup artist who didn't know better put it on upside down. Yeah, that's true. Uh, did you well, know they, they know um, this is totally off topic from Hathor, but um, uh, Bloodlines, that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, uh, but when Carter and Daniel go to the temple on Chulak mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they, you know, steal that, that, that symbiote uh, larva, mm-hmm. uh, did you notice that uh, on the wall there was the serpent symbol that was upside down from the way we see it on Teal'c's forehead? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. So that's a, a little tidbit for two episodes ago. So great podcasting here so i wonder if there's any retcon in there talking about how the positioning of the symbol on the forehead actually like matters and these aren't mistakes so if there's a if there's an upside down symbol is it the same symbol as what's on teal's forehead yeah just upside down yeah Yeah, okay so then maybe there's like maybe there's some retcon significance of when it's in this position it means this and when it's in that position it means that Um, and uh it's possible i don't know what it is oh i i you know, it, I am confident that I'm asking somebody to ship something. There you and go. It has a, you know, and it has everything to do with uh, Teal's uh, symbol. So there you go. Wink, so wink. if you have the retcon that we need, let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That's W. Oh, no, never mind. Uh, shall we get into this? Yeah, let's do. Let's uh, so so. We've done enough uh, preamble. Let's uh, let's let's talk about the episode. All right. So here is my synopsis from Hathor once again from the Stargate Command Wiki with my own edits. Mm-hmm. In Mexico, a team of archaeologists led by Doctor Kleinhaus and Doctor Cole investigate a Mayan pyramid. I like While it. Keep going. Digging. They find it. I'm going to see how long I can do this. Sure, While digging, on. they find an ancient tomb. They note that until recently, the Mexican government wouldn't allow them to investigate the tomb. But in the tomb, they find a sarcophagus. Dr. Cole is surprised when she discovers that the sarcophagus contains Egyptian hieroglyphs. A sarcophagus in a Mayan temple, and it has the symbols of the Egyptian god Hathor. Dr. Kleinhaus remembers reading a journal article from a ridiculed Egyptologist named Dr. Daniel uh, uh, Jackson, Daniel Jackson, <laughs> about how ancient cultures are all linked. This discovery leads him, in just this few moments, to rethink Dr. Jackson's theories. They open the sarcophagus <laughs> and are surprised when a woman rises from inside and demands, in English, to know where <laughs> Ra is. When she realizes they are not Guawuld, she raises her hand and uses her Karakash to kill the archaeologists. Oh, is that what it's called? I didn't know that. that it, I didn't know that thing had a name. Yeah, it, it's called the Karakash. Okay. Uh, 
which also means that Dr. Kleinhaus no longer can rethink Dr. Jackson's theories. Because <laughs> he's dead. Because he can no longer rethink. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be done with that. Sometime, right. <laughs> that's hard on the voice. <laughs> Sometime later, the sarcophagus makes its way into the embarkation room of Stargate Command, where SG-1, along with General Hammond, are discussing how it arrived at the SGC. It was sent by the surviving members of the Mayan archaeology team in Mexico, who believed that Drs. Cole and Kleinhaus were murdered by crypt robbers. Apparently, they too had heard of Dr. Jackson's work and managed to track him down and, giving him the, and give him the sarcophagus. This is really impressive. <laughs> we can talk more about that if we want. So, Dr. Jackson and O'Neill recognized the sarcophagus as something they saw on Abydos, and that was what was used to bring both Daniel and others back from the dead. They are interrupted by an SF who informs Hammond that an intruder was uh, has entered Cheyenne Mountain. Furthermore, she somehow knows of the Stargate's existence. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. She is detained by base guards and put in a cell. Hammond, along with Jackson and O'Neill, arrive at the cell. She is the same woman who killed Dr. Kleinhaus and his team in Mexico. She introduces herself as Hathor. We are Hathor. The Egyptian goddess of fertility. Inebriety. Inebriety. Inebriation. And music. That is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. As O'Neill puts it, I kind of liked that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It it fits. Uh, So, what you're saying is life hasn't changed a whole lot in 4,000 years. Uh huh. All right. Thinking that she isn't a threat, Jackson decides to remove her restraints. She thanks him for this and kisses his hand. Unknown to him, she blows out a mysterious pink mist. This seems to have some sort of effect on Jackson. She tells them that she was drawn to the Chapa Eye and wants to know where Ra is. Daniel begins to answer, but is cut off by the general. Dr. Jackson, need to know. She then wants to kiss Hammond's hand, and with a little prodding from Jackson, he plays into her delusions and allows the gesture. Hather blows the same pink mist onto Hammond's hand. Hammond and O'Neill then depart, leaving Jackson to question the woman further. As soon as they depart, Hathor asks again, where is Ra? This time her eyes glow, and Jackson cooperates and reveals to her that Ra is dead. Shockingly, Hathor is quite thrilled by the news, especially when she learns that SGC personnel killed him. She declares Jackson to be her beloved, and after using the pink mist again, they kiss. In the briefing room, Hammond and the rest of the SGC consider who this woman really is when Jackson enters. I fixed that sentence, and it still is a little bit weird. I'm sorry. Mm. All right. It's fine. He tells them that the woman claiming to be Hathor has either extensively researched ancient Egypt or has actually lived there. She's a Gua'uld. She really is Hathor. But she may actually be a good Gua'uld. She wants to help defeat Apophis and the other evil ghouls. 
Jackson requests, they allow her into the briefing room to debrief the team. O'Neill, Carter, and Teal'c seem to reject the idea, but Hammond decides to agree with Jackson's plan. He is persuaded by Carter, though, to hide the Stargate by closing the blast door. Soon, Hathor enters. She praises O'Neill for his role in killing Ra. O'Neill attempts to avoid her, but after using her pink mist again, O'Neill complies with her wishes. She attempts the same thing on Teal'c, who doesn't wish to serve any Gua'uld. The pink mist does not appear to work on Teal'c. Almost immediately, Carter recognizes that the human men are acting strangely. She stands up to the general, questioning his orders regarding this intruder. Carter is stunned when she seems to be standing alone. Next, Hammond offers Hathor a tour of the facility. She is taken to guest quarters and is informed that two guards will be posted for her protection. However, she suggests that she not have the two guards. And when she breathes the pink mist again at Hammond, he obliges and orders the guards to leave. The power of her suggestion also reaches O'Neill. After Hammond and O'Neill leave, Hathor wishes to talk to Jackson again. She wants Jackson to be her chosen one, her pharaoh, and with the power of her suggestion, Jackson agrees to honor her, even to die for her. Carter is getting suspicious that all the men in the facility seem really infatuated with Hathor. She decides to do some research, despite that being Jackson's field and not hers. Still, despite the lack of experience, she does seem to find a website that suggests that all the sex goddesses from various mythologies may in fact be the same woman, including Greece's Aphrodite, Babylon's Ishtar, Sirius Astarte, and Rome's Ceres. Carter is not the only one noticing something odd in the base. Dr. Frazier and the other women see it too. Frazier thinks that perhaps Hathor may be using some kind of chemical to influence the men. Believing Hathor to be a threat, Carter suggests that they should neutralize her. In the guest quarters, Jackson learns that Hathor is a Gua'uld queen. She creates the Gua'uld. He learns that she wants Jackson's DNA through sexual reproduction to create more Gua'uld. Jackson tries to stop her, but after using the pink mist again, they kiss <laughs> so that she could get him to impregnate her. Ish. Ish. In an armory, Carter, Frazier, and several female soldiers of the SGC arm themselves in order to kill Hathor. They are interrupted by Teal'c. Pointing their weapons at the Jaffa, they question him, believing him to be under Hathor's control. However, Teal'c's Gua'uld protects him from Hathor's influence, and they allow Teal'c to join them. Hathor plans to use the base as her nest to spread out. Eventually, the earth will be filled with Gua'uld if they do not stop her. After cautiously making their way through the base, they arrive at the guest quarters, where they see Jackson stunned and motionless. They soon track Hathor to the locker room, where they see her resting in a hydrotherapy whirlpool bath by herself. As they make their move, Hathor awakens and orders the guards to protect her. They circle her, and Hammond orders the women to stand down. Surrounded, the women and Teal'c decide to stand down, and they are taken to the brig. In the cell, 
Carter laments that she often feels like the girl amongst all the boys, which gives Dr. Frazier a revelation. If Hathor's drug is hormone-driven, it could mean the men be- to become... It could drive the men to become libidinous. <laughs> That's an interesting word to use. Yeah. Libidinous. I mean, I it's, it's, it's the right word, word, I guess. But Yeah, it's technically so correct. They decide to seduce the SFs to escape. The plan works. They seduce, then subdue, then disarm, and then lock up the guards. O'Neill visits Hathor in order to ask her questions about herself. However, Hathor turns things around and decides to give him a gift. Under her uniform is a glowing device on her belly. She then embraces O'Neill firmly. The device causes considerable pain to O'Neill, and Hathor announces that he would become Hathor's first new Jaffa. After she pushes him away, O'Neill is startled to see that the device has created a symbiote pouch in O'Neill's abdomen. Oh no! Oh no! The women are able to subdue a few more men, including General Hammond, who is knocked out by Carter. And with that act, she's certain her career is over. Despite that, they have a job to do, and they continue, releasing Teal'c and on to their plan to neutralize Hathor. Back in the locker room, they see Hathor rising from the tub, which is now filled with uh, shrimp. <laughs> I mean, I mean, filled with infant symbiotes. Big, giant shrimps. Big, giant shrimp. And later, shrimp on the Barbie. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Carry on. Carry on. She puts an unconscious O'Neill into the bathtub and leaves him there to allow a symbiote to make its way into his pouch. After she rather conveniently leaves, Carter, Fraser, and Tilk remove him from the bath, and after checking that the pouch is empty, uh, they try to figure out what to do next. He has no immune system. Tilk suggests that they use the sarcophagus in the gate, and so they head that way. They are able to place him in the sarcophagus, and it closes. After it's closed, the blast doors open, where two airmen immediately open fire on Carter, Frazier, and Teal'c. Frazier and Teal'c are shot and wounded. Hathor stops the airmen as she sees O'Neill emerge from the sarcophagus. But when she realizes O'Neill is just a human again, she uses her hand device at the sarcophagus before leaving the room. As the sarcophagus sarcophagus goes into an overload, the team hastily leave the gate room seconds before it is destroyed. Uh, The sarcophagus, not the gate room. Yes. Yes. Important distinction. Important distinction. Carter checks O'Neill's stomach. They're shocked where the symbiote pouch has been. Or just his, 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 his abs. He does crunches. <laughs> his, his rock hard abs. O'Neill is back. Fraser and Teal go to the infirmary to get patched up, while O'Neill takes Carter to a storage room to arm themselves with tranquilizer guns that Carter didn't know about before. They soon find Hathor in the locker room again, where she tells the airmen to capture Carter and kill her. 
O'Neill and Carter emerge and shoot all of the SFs with tranquilizers. Hathor retaliates by knocking Carter back with her hand device, the Karakesh, uh, before she could mm-hmm. use it again to attack O'Neill. Carter, however, pulls out her sidearm and shoots several times. The tub catches fire. That's actually rather impressive that the tub would catch fire in this situation. There's so much about that scene. We'll get to it. All right. The tub catches fire, killing all of the infant Guawuld. Jackson stands there screaming in stunned disbelief. In the confusion, Hathor sneaks out of the locker room, apparently unscathed. Hathor dials the Stargate to Chulak and leaves. The second she leaves Earth, all the men are quickly snapped out of their trance and are returned to normal, rather conveniently. Apparently, (laughs) proximity is needed for Hathor to maintain control of the men. In the, infirmary, in the infirmary, Hammond confronts Carter. As she explains her actions, Hammond stops her and tells her that he is putting her and Fraser in for a commendation. Apparently none of the other women, just those two. That's because they have names. Oh. <laughs> and they talk. Good point. I yeah. didn't check. I didn't notice that. Uh, even though Carter <clears throat> knocked him out. He congratulates her. If it weren't for her actions, Stargate Command and Earth would face certain doom. Doom! Doom! Everyone seems no worse for the wear. So, the end. The end. There you go. Yeah. So that is Hathor. Mm-hmm. So, that sure was. So, Brent, tell me, what did you think about <laughs> Hathor? Well, I was really excited to watch this episode, and then... And then you watched it? The, <laughs> the, the, so, it was... Um, you know, so I was I was looking forward to it just because it did, you know, it was going to seem like it was going to be another bit of more world building, world building. We're going to get some going to get back into some of the Egyptian aspect. Uh, you know, there's going to be the mother of all the Goulds. You know, there was there was going to be a lot of meat on this uh, plate, it seemed like. <clears throat> and uh, when I when I watched it, there was definitely some moments where it was just groan inducing. But we'll get to that in a minute. The the. Overall, though, it does seem kind of neat that they were trying to expand, uh, carrying on from what you were telling us last time, Zach, that, mm-hmm. you know, they, that they're exploring a lot of different story topics right now. And uh, so now we have a little bit of a hook that the um, Gua'uld were in um, uh, uh, ain't super ancient Mexico. Were the Aztecs around 2000 years ago? Or the Mayans? Um but you know what I'm remember. getting at right now, yeah. right? Like, you know, she's in a tomb and it's, you know, whatever. Okay, fine. Well, well I'll worry about the particulars later. So ages and ages ago, the Gua'uld were also uh, hanging around um, in Central and South America. <clears throat> uh, apparently, like, hanging out and biding her time. You know, again, the, the story, the, the timelines start to get a little mixed up because if the gate was buried 10,000 years ago... Things get problematic, but ignoring those particular details. Yeah. So we got a little bit more of an expansion on the idea of the, of the universe of the story. Right. So that's kind of cool. And then, and then there's this, uh, you know, this little quasi like, you know, threat to humanity that's taking place within the, you know, the SGC and how the team takes care of it. And, and, uh, it ends in a way that allows for the story to continue. Right. Like she gets away. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some, there's some good parts about the thing. But boy, oh boy, how it got there, it's kind of just like, man, I can kind of see how they were like, "Mm, this is one of the weaker episodes. 
It, uh, it is kind of bonkers. It, it's kind of all over the place with some stuff. Like, there are... It feels like there are a lot of, of really small plot holes, but as a result, this thing is suffering by death of a thousand paper cuts. Um, you know, I didn't take the time to write down all of them, but as we were going through the synopsis, I mean, there were just there were just several of them. And, you know, like, it, maybe I'm being a little too harsh because I'm looking at it through 20 years worth of, of, of history. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of little aspects about it that just seemed a little out of control, like... You know, we were laughing about the, you know, the little Internet research that she was doing at the, you know, towards the beginning of the ep- or middle of the episode, which mm-hmm. at the time, you know, I, I should be a little bit more generous because it was not quite as ubiquitously known that you can't trust things on the Internet quite like you think you might be able to. And so there, there's well, that. I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate there just a little sure. bit and, and recognize that given what the SGC already knows about history and things. Yeah. Um. Uh, looking at the fringe of of scientific research is uh, where you yeah, would okay. have to look. Sure. And given what they know, there is new and greater credibility for that fringe research. Okay. All right. That's that is totally fair. There's there's my retcon for you. Yeah, that's fine. But then there's other things like so she so she kills a couple of archaeologists and then just like disappears. And the other archaeological team finds the sarcophagus and sends it to the SGC. I mean, I get it. You know, they knew about my research and they looked me up. And then she, like, takes a stroll from Mexico to, you know, Wyoming. And, you know, like, I get it. It's a story and it's a television story. But, you know, I was just like, uh, whatever. And then uh, and then there was the thing with the entire like arc about how the women take the base back over again. They um, it, it, I wasn't a big fan that they had to use their feminine wiles to get the upper hand. Like the whole story seemed to revolve around this idea of that, uh, you know, women um, women are trying to be dudes and they get frustrated when they can't be dudes. And when they fail at being a dude, they then resort to sexuality uh, to regain power uh, and then go back to dudeness. Um, and so like, it was a little bit eye rolling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's mid to late nineties. It's television. It's on Showtime or whatever it was, or Cinemax or whatever. I can't remember. Showtime. Um, it, Showtime. And, uh, you know, so it, 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 I, I'm not exactly expecting this thing to be a champion of 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 feminist virtues. But on the same token, uh, it was a little bit like, really, like we have to go down this road in order to establish veracity or, or, or validity uh, for these female characters. And, you know, but then once that was over with and, you know, they, then they went ahead and you know, I'm, I'm, ran around the base and kicked butt. And, I'm not going to defend any of that. Um uh, sure. A, uh, female listeners, uh, tell us what you think. Uh, yeah, B, um, uh, one of the things that that I, I, I kind of liked about that scene is is Carter's revulsion of having to resort to this. Yes, uh, you know. That's so, fair. so you've got this like, and you know, this is special ops training. You use the weakness of others, and if all of this stuff has yeah. got them really doped up on. On you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll, um, sure. then use it. 
the, I think that my big kind of takeaway is that I'm a 38 year old man right now. And this episode definitely feels like it would be totally my cup of tea when I was 17. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's totally playing off of, um, off of sexuality as a method of storytelling. And that's, you know, I mean, okay, that's done. That's done a lot. Uh, I'm not quite that person that I was. So, and this, so it doesn't quite have the same effect. Uh, as it might have when I was younger, but you know, all right, fine. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, a couple of lines that I liked in this: fertility, mm-hmm. inebriety, and music, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And and I also like you with a crown of marble. Yes, <laughs> that was definitely funny. That made me laugh. With a crown of marble. Uh, she may mean you, sir. Huh? Uh, oh, okay. okay. Um. You know, and like you mentioned, I like the world building. I like we learned that the Gua'ulds have queens; that the queen is the one who yeah. who uh-huh. uh, makes the Gua'uld larva and whatnot. Uh, I like that we learned that there are different power plays between the different Gua'ulds. Yeah, um, that's a good point. You know, so, oh yeah, which yeah, that okay, you carry on, but that you know, let's circle back on. Okay, that one. so you know, just just the idea that that you know, I mean, Hathor and Ra, uh, wife and. Uh, Mom, wife, mother, or daughter, or something—it's <laughs> uh, yeah. creepy, whatever it is. Um, yeah. But uh, now, to be fair, that's not—that's not—that's uh, uh, not SG one. That's just Egyptian mythology. That's right. Uh, so you know, like most of our Egyptian and uh, Roman Greek mythology, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> so yeah. okay, uh, but I do I like the the uh, the different power plays that you know. It's like you know whether she's a good or a bad Gua'uld. You know that uh, Apophis is not her buddy. You know, so the 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 Gua'uld, and we we kind of talked about this. Or it was mentioned a little bit. You know, with the system lords uh, in yeah. uh, Thor's hammer yes, that was right. mentioned just briefly. Uh, uh-huh. So we've got this another another piece that that shows that that you know. Uh, the Goulds are not uh, monolithic by any stretch of yes. the imagination. So right. I like that kind of world building. Um, hopefully they go somewhere with it. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, they will. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, other things I liked. I liked. Uh, well, did you want to talk more about that whole power play stuff? Um, you were- sure. A little bit. Um, only because, but it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a negative twist or uh, a little bit in the end she escapes. And where does she go? She goes to Chulak. Chulak is where Apophis is. She just got done like talking about how, right? No, I mean, she definitely didn't. She was pleased that Ra was dead and she was, yeah. And she was talking about Ra and Apophis in the same breath as being an enemy. Right. Oh, well maybe she was playing. Maybe she was playing them. Maybe she's not really their enemy. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, fine, um, but okay, but w- within the scope of that, there's power plays going on between the different Gould. Um, she just ran straight into the den of one of her one of the people that she doesn't like. That's true. Um, which was I, I thought was a little weird. Uh, I, I I will play a standard defense here uh, and and just say that uh, you know she's been out of circulation for two thousand years. Um, yeah. she <laughs> out of circulation. That's a good. That's a, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> um, and you know, Apophis left uh, several thousand years prior to that, so her uh, yeah. knowledge of where to go next may, in fact, be relatively limited. Also, oh. um, 
in in the last 30 seconds of the show, it would be difficult to say, oh, she just went to some random planet that we don't know where sure. it is. And, and I guess maybe that would work, but... Yeah, it could have, but whatever. All right, but, fine. She ran off to two lives. Um, but you know, and may- we're supposed to care about that because now, now, um, Hathor and Apophis can potentially team up. Well, you know, if she's got some potent drugs, she could maybe make that work on some other folks there. Yeah. Oh, there's although it wouldn't work on if it doesn't work on Teal, it wouldn't Jaffa, work on right? Apophis. So, who knows? They clearly did not think everything through. Nope, they did not. <laughs> um, let's see here. Other things. You know, I liked uh, Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks' acting when they were under the influence of Hathor. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was subtle um, and not subtle at the same time. Um, yeah. You know, th- yeah, so, that's a good way to so say they, it. They, they had this thing where they were clearly affected by it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... I, I didn't much like kind of the way it was shot, and I didn't much like the music behind it because it just made it feel hokey a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But but they're acting, you know, especially Richard Dean Anderson. He's like, you know, um, hey, you know, you've got me off my game here, and I don't like that. And mm-hmm. and he's like, no, no, I want to ask the questions. He's like, oh, but yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, oh okay. You know, it just just the the the, the shift, and in, in I, I like that. Uh, that said, um, I didn't much like Donis Davis's. Uh, that was. I, yeah. He's just like. Uh, uh, he, yeah. I'm uh, under <laughs> your influence now. Hey, uh, how about I show you around? Yeah. <laughs> Get the lady some water. <laughs> <laughs> derp, derp, derp. Yeah, no, he was definitely. Uh, so. No. Uh, I, I liked. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks, but I didn't much care for Don S. Davis's uh, nope. um, uh, drunken quality there. Right. Um, so I thought it was incredibly slow paced. It just kind of yeah went yeah. Uh, and 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 as I was you know working on the synopsis this morning, I was just like, oh gosh, this just kind of goes from piece to piece and piece and there's all sorts of little pieces i'm like this is longer than i normally go but yeah yeah and it's kind of interesting how like it seems like the more piecemeal a thing seems to be like the 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 slower the pace is uh you know i if there's any if there's anyone out there that's like you know a student of storytelling and can totally be like yeah and there's a reason for that and it's because of blah like i would love to hear from you um, but the the stories where there seems to be only a couple of things going on paradoxically seem to move faster mm-hmm. than these where there's like 15 little bits and they all relate, but they're still little bits and they kind of, you know, they get together eventually, but it kind of takes a while. Yeah, it, it, it just kind of plods along a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it actually kind of feels like a role playing game. In that regard, oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, we've done role playing games a lot, uh, mm-hmm. and and it's way more awkward uh, than your mind would have it if you've never played a role playing game. Uh, it's not, you know, Lord of the Rings uh, at your tabletop. It's more like drunken fool dashery. <laughs> 
Yep. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you just, because the story, there, there's an implicit understanding around the table that the story needs to go in that direction. And so everybody yeah. just ignores everything else except for going in that direction, except for that one guy who never wants except to follow for that the story. One guy. Um, That's right. But besides that, I mean, so y- you look back at the story and you're like, are you serious? How do those things connect? Um, and, but they do, um, because that's what the story says. So it kind of right. felt like that. Um, yeah. Plus there's another short of cardinal rule with RPGs where it's like, if you, you never split the party. Um, and you know, maybe that's sort of an artifact where it's like, yeah, you've got six different stories going on. And so it takes, it's a lot harder to bring, you know, to, to move yeah. it along. Yeah. You can, you can split the party in a TV show a lot easier than you can in their role-playing game. Yes, though. you can. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was really super lucky for them that the sarcophagus healed O'Neill's Jaffa pouch. Totally. I mean, admittedly, that's the only option they had. Yes. I mean, you have one. You have two options. You either try the sarcophagus and see if it works, or you put a goo old in his gut. Right. That's all they had. So I, I got to tell you though, when when uh, when when that shot first showed up, where you know where O'Neill has the pouch, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know where it was going to go. I like there was a moment where I'm like, ooh, how how, how how's this going to go? Is like I, I didn't know. I could see it going in a lot of different directions, sure. and so sure. Um, so also, uh, I was I was pleased slash. Um, bummed out that they resolved the acquisition of the sarcophagus problem by blowing it up. Because, you know, O'Neill pops out, you know, gets into the sarcophagus, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, hey, you know, is this going to be a thing? Has, like, you know, has the SGC acquired a fantastic uh, asset in the war against the good? Nope, just kidding. Blow it up. <laughs> yeah. We, we get a lot of that in this first season, especially of, uh, you know, despite the fact that we're world building. Uh, we yeah. more or less reset back to zero at the end of every episode. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, right. I, I will give you uh, uh, a spoiler in that that uh, that changes. That uh-huh. so that as okay. the series progresses, you know the. In fact, uh, I, I was watching a. Uh, 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 I don't know some just a, a little clip of of of. Uh, of in a video of something with the the producers and whatnot, and uh, and they were talking about this that that as they were going through season one, and they're like, "Oh my, look at that! We like reset to zero every time. This isn't gonna play. We can't do this." Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when they made that conscious decision, but they did make a conscious decision at some point in time that says, "Hey, we need to stop resetting to zero and uh, building off of things and and developing yeah, things, move this thing along." Um, yeah. And so that does happen. Um, cool. So, you know, spoiler. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. That's not a bad no, spoiler. No, that's not a bad one. Um, let's see here. I have one more uh, thing to bring up in my odds and sods, uh, but uh, it's a little bit heavier to talk about. Uh, so if mm-hmm. you have some more lighter stuff, then let's, let's toss that out there first. Okay. Well, um, my, only, my, last little, my last little bullet point was about bullets. Um, I thought... So at first, when Samantha Carter opens fire up on Hathor and, like, pin, puts her down, the first thought that crossed my mind was, I, I, bullets work? 
I didn't know they worked. I thought that they didn't work or maybe they did work, but you know, that they were like, old were always a step ahead and they had their little shields or whatever. Right. You know, that kind of a thing. So I was a little surprised at first and then the whole thing burst into flames. And then I was like, what? Okay. (laughs) Um, I know that bullets don't cause it to burst into flames, but you know, a dying queen causes it to burst into, and then she escapes. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what happened here? Do bullets cause larva to burst into flames? And if so, <laughs> uh, we have previous uh, documented evidence that that didn't happen with the larva that Jackson pummeled with bullets a few episodes ago. That's true. Um, so then, uh, you know, a wounded queen, and then she like a phoenixy. T- you know, it was just there was it was just like a what 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 is this moment here? Like you know, super convenient that all these ghoul larvae just like burst like nope. Can't study these. Reset to zero. Yeah, Try again. Yeah. So she was in, what was it, uh, some sort of hydrotherapy whirlpool thing. Right. Um, I don't know what it's called exactly. But, yeah, whirlpool. you know, if, if that has water in it and it's yeah. just water. Yeah. Then, I mean, I suppose, you know, um, you know, when cows fart, they release methane. <laughs> so I suppose... <laughs> So you're telling me that 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 everybody that walked into that locker room was like, oh, man, jeez, who killed a squirrel in here? Oh, man, what did you eat? You know, I I, I don't know. No, I, I, I got nothing for you, Brent. It, it doesn't light make a sense. match. No, don't light a match. <laughs> well, and then also, you know, they use lead doesn't create sparks very well no no this that the whole thing was kind of it, just, it just doesn't work no um so there you go um mm-hmm. so my last thing mm-hmm. uh this whole episode brings up questions of consent mm-hmm and I mean, you've got... As in, like, nobody got it? As in, nobody it? got it. I mean, you know, A, Hathor comes in here, drugs all of the men, drugs right. especially Jackson, has sex yes. with him, produces yes. children by him. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty I, rapey. I, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I don't know it, what else to say. But so, but in, so here's, here's my hot take. Here's, here's, here's Brent's American culture corner. Thanks for coming to Brent's American corner culture corner. Um, we seem to have a lot less of a problem with um, women exerting that kind of control over men. And I think that it is because, uh, all right, here we go. Here's my soapbox. Uh, I think that part of the reason that we think about that is because we believe that most men or all men are just brutish animals who like wouldn't object to a sexual encounter no matter how it came about. So it's not really bad that she uh, drugged everybody and then uh, took advantage of them because these dudes would have wanted it anyway. Well, no, Um, but that was not our mentality. Arguably, it's not our mentality now. Um, it certainly wasn't really our mentality as far as uh, television storytelling. It was like, you know, like, you know, all right. Yeah. Here comes this beautiful woman and here she is seducing everybody. And these men are just monkeys with it. And so here we go. They're just. Yeah. Morons. Yeah. It. It bugs me. Yeah. It. 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 
I don't really have words to talk about that very well. Um, it just it bugs me. Um, I mean, you know, you could, I suppose, in terms of the storyline, you could argue that, well, this is who she is and this is what she does. Okay, true. Um, but uh, then you have the trope of, of the woman seductress. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the power of the women, and this gets to your point earlier that, you know, the power of of the women to free themselves when they're, is to use you know, the same ability that, that she had, that Hather uses, right. you know, that, that seduction. Um, at least our heroes in that situation were really uncomfortable with it, so I guess that's a, a plus-ish. I don't well, and, you know, Zach, your call, your call out to anybody, you know, anyone that's listening and is a woman and wants to, like, weigh in on that thing, like, you, not to say that, you know, this person has to be the, the token representation of all women, but... You know, we are a couple of dudes reverse engineering this thing. Yeah. Uh, a story written by a bunch of dudes, uh, directed by a dude. And, um, you know, we're looking at it going, ugh, this is kind of problematic. But, you know, maybe, maybe, you know. Yeah. So, you know, um, tell us what you think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what is What does this say about us? Um you know, is there yeah. is there something in this that we should take as as a way to handle this situation? Or you know, I mean, yeah, just tell us what you think. Yeah, there's, and this is honestly, this is the power of science fiction, right? It uh, well, of all good storytelling, really, but you know, science fiction kind of hangs its hat on the idea that it can turn the, the turn the spotlight back on humanity itself in a contemporary fashion by talking about these issues in a faraway method so that it feels like it's safe, right? We can, we can examine this from a distance and feel like we're not being attacked because it's not really us. It's, it's this faraway land and a faraway time with all this different technology. Well, no one really is talking about us. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I like taking advantage of that. I like wrestling with questions with contemporary questions through the lens of sci-fi. And I think that most sci-fi fans are probably of the same ilk, uh, there's definitely room for just a little bit of, you know, popcorn on the couch and a good story. And don't, you know, let's not really wrestle with something big, but that's not really sci-fi's um, bread and butter. It really is about talking about stuff that matters now. And this stuff still matters. Yep. Yep. And, you know, for me personally, I, I like it that, that in this particular situation that uh, they're not giving us a clear answer. Mm-hmm. They're, they're setting the story out there. Um, it, it's done with some tropish uh, Neanderthal qualities, uh, yeah. but it's right there and uh, gives us the opportunity today uh, to to look at it and think about it and say, uh, how do we want our society to be? Yeah. Uh, and that is the power of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So, Brent. Mm-hmm. After having watched Hathor, yes. After having now uh, chewed on the stuff of Hathor, oh, mm-hmm. that came out wrong. Sorry. Wow, boy, did that ever come out wrong? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Hmm. So after having Barbie watched Hathor, and after Barbie. having uh, spent the last hour or so talking about Hathor, how would you mm-hmm. rate Hathor? I think that was better. Was that better? <clears throat> <laughs> that was much okay. better, yes. How would you rate um, out of so, seven chevrons? 
out of seven chevrons this story uh um there was some stuff in here that i think is kind of cool there was a bit of the world building that was going on um i was realizing that the visual effects have kind of kept up in a way that i was a little surprised at i mean it just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks when i was watching it today i was like oh you know either i'm getting old or these effects have kind of held up and i think it's a bit more of the latter um but uh yeah, there was a lot of moments in here that was kind of like, you know, I could punch this thing full. It feels like I could punch this one full of holes. And uh, there was a little bit of story advancement, but not a lot. And there were so many moments where I was rolling my eyes with certain things. So as a result, out of seven, I can only give Hathor a three. It's buoyed by some of the cooler things, some of the little neato story elements, but it is held back by an awful lot of these groan-inducing moments. So Brent gives Hathor a three. Mm-hmm. And I look at this episode and, uh, you know, last week as we were watching Fire and Water, I mentioned that, that I remember it as being uh, like the second worst episode of, of uh, uh, SG-1. And then, sure. and then as we were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe it's not as bad as it was. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, this is a very, for me, meh episode. It's just kind yep. of, it's there. It it doesn't it doesn't make me want to skip it like Emancipation, um, sure. But it doesn't make me like ooh I, I'm so excited about no no. So with right. all of that, uh, I'm going to agree with you, Brent, and give it a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Brent gives it a three. Nice middling score. Yes, it's it's not at the halfway point. It's not even a three five, which is right fifty percent. It's a three. It's less than that. Uh, right. Uh, so Brent gives it a three. I give it a three. Tell us what you think. You can let us know on email if you want, or you could go to Facebook, uh, walking through the Stargate, or on Twitter at Stargate Walking. So yeah, Brent. Yes. Our next episode is called Singularity. Uh-huh. Tell me, what is Singularity about? Singularity. The SG-1 team has been analyzing the method of how the Stargate works this entire time. Particularly, Radar has been put on the case, and he has discovered something that is shocking when he runs the numbers. He checks it. He checks it again. He can only come up with one conclusion. The way that the wormhole works is by going through a junction. So the SG-1 team realizes that if they can get control of the junction, they've got a significant upper hand over the ghoul world. The SG-1 team dials in the secret special 8 Chevron code for the junction. How they get the 8th Chevron is going to be revealed in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) They jump through the gate and they find themselves squished into a single point. The team is locked in space and time with no capacity for understanding how they could get out. How on earth is SG-1 going to return back to the SGC? Tune in next week for Singularity. Ooh. Yeah? How'd I do? Well, I'd be interested in seeing how that happened. Yeah, you see, I can come up with some you good ones sometimes. I, I, uh, let's let's watch and see. Let's see what the trailer let's is. Let's see what okay. the trailer is. Uh, okay, are you ready? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. 
right, let's go. A deadly plague has one lone survivor. I think we may have brought back the cure. But this innocent child carries something even more lethal. The object inside Cassandra could cause a nuclear reaction a million times bigger. Now, for instance, to save the Earth from total destruction. They use that little girl like a Trojan horse. A human time bomb may have to be sacrificed. Captain Carter, get back up here. We are not going to die. On the next Star Oh, man. One. A little girl is a nuclear bomb? Holy moly, how could they... <laughs> oh wow so okay all right then that, that your imagination of singularity is way off yeah but yeah, i'd still be no, interested in seeing what that might be your episode yeah and sure you can tune in next time to yeah. find out what we think of singularity yes any other comments you have brent Nope, I think uh, I think we can put this one to bed. Okay, you do realize, Brent, that this is now officially our longest podcast. Yeah, we were jibber jabbering. Yeah, so we are already at almost four minute or four minutes, an hour and four fit minutes. Uh, I don't know yeah. what it'll end up being when you finally. Yeah, but, we had a lot to say about yeah. this one. So, if you have any comments about Hathor, uh, please let us know. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com or let us know on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on our Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, yeah. So. Totally awesome. Join, join some other fans and some friends. Yeah, and let, let's get this really rolling and having let's some fun together. Let's, let's get this get party started. started. Let's get it started. All right. Sorry. All right. So, uh, with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. See ya. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>